This is good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 128, TV shows ripe for reboot. I'm Chris McBride, along with caveman Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You'll find Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. And we do have an ask that we'd like to ask of you, if you could take a moment, if you enjoy the show, to write a review on iTunes for the podcast. We'd certainly appreciate that, wouldn't we, Derek? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I know it can be a little bit of a challenge to figure out how to do that. So uh, if you take the few minutes to do that for us, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, Or like Chris said, send us a tweet. Let us know. Do you like the show? What'd you like? What'd you not like? You got an idea? Uh, That's one of the things we sometimes will struggle with uh, is coming up with ideas for future shows, especially for top five lists like we're going to do tonight. Chris and I will often have some back and forth. What about this? What about that? But some of the best shows and some of the best topics we've had are topics that other people have suggested to us or that uh, have sort of fallen into our lap. So if you have an idea, please reach out to us. It's funny that you mentioned that I had someone uh, reach out to me a little while ago and said, hey, a great idea would be to do different magazines. And I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting idea. I do like that. And then, um, you know, as I've mentioned on the show before, in my day job, I'm a college professor. And in one of my courses, one of my classrooms, I had mentioned magazines. I don't know. I said, like, we talked about trade magazines. I'm a business professor. So I talked about trade magazines. And somebody puts up their hand and goes, what's a magazine? Yeah, I was just about to say, I don't know if that would necessarily uh, hit with the audience we're looking for. Yeah, the younger audience today, I tell you, these these kids today, I tell you. So anything new going on in the world of pop culture that I should know about? Uh, No, not that I can really think of. A couple of the shows that I've been watching... Uh, finished up. So I was watching The Outsider on HBO, which is an adaptation of the recent Stephen King novel. And so I finished reading the novel when I was away on my vacation a couple weeks ago. The uh, The last episode, I think it ran 10 episodes. The last one aired just this past week. It was good. I wouldn't say it was great. It was good. It was entertaining. If you're into Stephen King, I think you'd like it a lot more. It certainly felt very King towards the last few episodes. Um, it had a great cast and uh, like the writing was great. The character development was great. The performances were great, but it, it didn't wow me like I was really hoping it would. Um, and then another one that I finished watching just this week, which I think I mentioned on a previous podcast, is a documentary series called McMillions, also which is airing on HBO. It was a six-part documentary, uh, six one-hour episodes, and it was about uh, the people that um, defrauded the McDonald's Monopoly game – Uh, through the 90s and like the main guy ended up ripping them off for something like 15 million bucks he was stealing the game pieces and then selling them to his friends and colleagues for fractions of what they're worth he'd say like hey chris i got this million dollar game piece uh if you give me a hundred grand you can cash it in for a million bucks and uh so it's the six-part documentary series about how the fbi sort of got turned on to it and what they had to do to 
create like some stings to get people to to perjure themselves and go on camera and say they did things that they knew they didn't. And then it was the investigation of wiretaps. It was very entertaining and very interesting to see how much work is involved to stop certain crimes. And one of the things that I found a little disappointing was just that how how many people got charged, but how few of them actually had reasonable punishment for the crimes they committed. Although like 99% of the people that were involved got punishment. So, so at the end that was good, but McMillions was pretty good. I would say, check that out. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's, it's finished now. So all six episodes are available and, uh, Stephen King, uh, outsider on HBO, it's done now too. So I don't know what to watch next. I'll have to find something. Yeah. We'll have to go back and listen to our episode on what TV show should I binge watch next and get those yeah, ideas. For sure. If anyone's got any suggestions, send me a tweet. <laughs> I'm looking for something new. I sent out a tweet. Check my Twitter feed because I sent out a tweet just the other night and I just said that very thing. What TV yeah, show I that. should I binge watch next? And I got some interesting uh, things. A couple things for me, I've actually watched a few new things. You'd be very proud of me, Derek. One was a movie and one's a TV show that I found on Netflix. The movie that I watched was The Shape of Water. Have you ever seen this? Yeah, I won the best picture a couple of years back. Yes. We, we watched it in prep. So most years before the Oscars, we try to watch as many of the best picture nominees as possible. And the year that one was nominated, um, we definitely saw it before it ended up winning. I, I really liked it. Um I, I don't necessarily know if it sort of holds up as well. Uh, a lot of people sort of slagged it, but uh, I thought it was good, especially given its sort of fantastic slash horror themes uh, throughout. The special effects were great. Performances were great. I mean, it definitely deserved to be nominated for Best Picture. Whether or not it deserved to win, who knows? But anyway, what did you think, Chris? I thought it was weird. The director is the same director from Pan's Labyrinth. Isn't that correct? Yes. Yes. So Pan's Labyrinth, I think, is one of the best films of the last 20 years. I just loved that movie. This one I didn't love quite as much. I thought Sally J uh, Hawkins, is that her name, the actress? I thought she was fantastic. Oh, she was great in that movie. But I thought like the, I don't know, he's like an, an amphibian person, man thing. I thought that was just weird. And I don't know whole thing was a little bit on the odd side. But then I, I was flipping around the other day on uh, Netflix and I found this show called Impractical Jokers. And I, this is totally something that I wouldn't normally watch, something like this. Um, but I just, I love people's reaction. Like, I love the real reaction that people have to things. I've always liked it. I've mentioned before in, in a former life, I was an actor. I was a theater actor and I used to do a lot of improv. So I always enjoyed that that visceral reaction from an audience for the first time. And this show basically has these four guys that challenge each other to do things. And a lot of times they'll have like a like a an earpiece in and the other ones will tell them that they have to say things and then they have to say oh, okay. these things. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've seen, <laughs> I, I've seen a few episodes. This is so not my thing. Believe me, I love stupid comedies as much or more than the next guy, right. but... There was just some of this stuff was just too wacky for me. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't really get into it, but I, yeah. I know what you're talking about. And I can only imagine that there are going to be some episodes that are gold. There are some. And I agree with you. This is not really kind of in my wheelhouse of stuff that I generally really like. But I put it on the other night and I'm in bed. My wife is beside me sleeping. I put on the TV and I'm, I find this show and I put it on and I was laughing so much that I was shaking the bed and my wife wakes up. She's like, what are you doing? Like, I was just laughing so much at these guys and the things that they were doing. Not all of it hits. Like you mentioned, some of it's kind of junk, but some of it's just gold. Like they had this guy, he was working at like a white castle and then he was working behind the counter. And then the other guys are like backstage and they're telling him what to do. And so the, this, this customer comes in and orders like a slider and gives them the money. And then he just stands there and holds the bill up and just stares at the bill. 
And he's like, just look at the bill. Just look at it. Just keep looking at it. And, the, and he just looks at it for like a minute straight. And the customer doesn't know what to do. And I just, I found it genuinely funny just watching this customer's reaction to this situation. I don't know. I found the whole thing kind of neat. But uh, yeah, so I watched a couple of things that were due. And then I also watched Three's Company, as always. It's funny you mention that. I actually watched an episode of Three's Company yes! tonight. Which one did you? Which one was it? Um, so it had Terry in it, which I knew you would approve. Yes, I just watched and, it last night and Terry and, was in it. And Janet had a date with a guy who was a reporter and he shows up to pick her up for the date and he sort of misconstrues what's going on and he tells him like, I'm a finance reporter. And then he ends up writing like this scandalous piece about – Jack lives with these two hot ladies and they're always having parties. And, and it was this, again, it's the episode where, you know, someone overhears something and there's a misunderstanding. And, you know, I, I think you might've seen that one. So uh, yes, yes. So, so you're telling me it's a threes company episode where something gets misunderstood and misconstrued yes, or something yes. else. After something wow, is, that's, yeah, yeah. that doesn't ever happen on that show. No, 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 no not at all. But <laughs> yeah, I watched, I watched about 10 minutes of it. And right. then during the commercial, I switched over to HBO and they were showing the movie Yesterday, which came out last oh, year with the guy who me about uh, plays the Beatles songs. Yeah. And of course, I was like, oh, this just started. And it was just at the point where he he realizes nobody knows who the Beatles are. And and he's he gets the idea like, hey, I could pretend I wrote all these songs and and be a hit. And so, of course, I watched that for another hour or so. And nice. then you messaged me like, we're ready to do the podcast. So I had to hit record. I got to go back and watch the end of yesterday uh, after we're done watching it. But uh, I forgot how much I enjoyed the movie yesterday. I thought it was great. And if nothing else, tomorrow I'm going to be listening to nothing but Beatles on my playlist. So, nice, you know, there's nice. always that as an added bonus. There you go. So, so like I mentioned, I watched a couple of new things. But just in tr my true Gen X fashion, I also recorded Rocky 3. And I'm oh, going nice. to watch it with my 10-year-old my son in the next couple of days. So I just can't nice. wait to do that. Okay, on that note, let's get started. I am a super nerd. Dude, I don't know how you didn't get more girls in high school. Or guys, for that matter. I got nobody. <laughs> Nothing. You're a <laughs> man. Just club them over the head and drag them yeah. home. Oh, my, my, my. And I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. You're not a nerd. Oh, they, women I, love them. Well, yeah, they do, but they're all nerdy women. So The Fawns is 73 years old. Raiders of the Lost Ark is basically Steven Spielberg giving a master's class on how to make a movie. I found a Fonzie shirt that I want <laughs> I for Christmas. I saw it, yeah. And my wife was like, you're not getting that. Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> okay, I finished. Okay, so there has been a trend for streaming services, mostly Netflix, I guess, to reboot old TV shows and, you know, and come up with like new episodes. And the way Netflix does it, of course, is that they produce a whole season, right? And then they just drop it all at once. So you can binge watch the whole season and, you know, you don't have to wait week to week for new episodes like we did, you know, back in my day, you know. Yeah. Uh, get off my lawn, you kids. Uh, so anyway... So since it's a thing now to reboot old TV shows, we got to thinking, what old TV shows are ripe for a reboot? And we decided it would be a good idea to come up with a top five list, you know, individually, both of us, of TV shows that we'd like to see get a reboot. Now, I would like to just preface this with a few things. First, Derek, this was 100% your idea. So thanks for coming up with this. You mentioned earlier, we sometimes struggle with coming up with a topic, but you came up with this idea and I thought it was a great one. Thank you. 
I, I got to admit, it's yeah. not a totally new idea. I've mentioned many times that one of the podcasts I listen to is on the Ringer Network called The Rewatchables, where they pick a movie they love and then for two hours they gush over how great it is and, and they have all these categories. One of the categories in their in their thing is, could this movie be remade as a 10-episode Netflix series? Oh, and I always find that's an interesting question because mm-hmm. in some cases it's completely obvious that it would totally work and in other cases it's like, no, not a chance. But um, that that's something I've, I've sort of thought in the back of my mind as I watch a lot of older movies is, is this something that could be rebooted? And when you and I were chatting, it just – that idea popped into my mind. But I, I'm positive that that was my inspiration for this. So we, we tried to look – or at least I tried to look for shows that hadn't been rebooted yet because so many shows have – they've tried to reboot it oh, or yeah. remake it or even like something like – Full House and Fuller House, where it's mm-hmm. not so much a reboot as much as a let's revisit this 25 years later or um, Will and Grace or Mad About You or Roseanne. Like so many shows that aren't rebooted as much as just let's pick them up 20 years later because there's still an audience that would be interested to to follow this formula. So I tried to I tried to avoid stuff like that. I went, okay. let's let's just look for some shows that maybe haven't been rebooted or haven't been successfully rebooted. Some shows now, like we did a movie review on the A-Team a while back. So obviously yes. that was a TV show that became a movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they they certainly made some changes to try and make the movie work a little better. And as much as I love the movie, I know you weren't a big fan of it. Um, so with that in mind, that was sort of where we were coming from with with these idea, with these shows. At least that was where I was coming from. The one thing I should mention before we get into it, too, is I'm generally not a big fan of the reboot. You know, I know it's a surprise. I, I, I want to see Hollywood come up with new ideas, like not just recycled old shows and they put a new spin on it from the modern times. Uh, and of course, the way that I am with my love of Gen X, I think most old TV shows are just perfect the way they are. I wish they'd just leave them alone. Um, I know I mention this almost every week on the podcast, but I am the crotchety old guy who just hates everything new. That's just me. However, in the spirit of having fun, I decided I would play along and I put together a top five list of TV shows that I think are ripe for reboot. Um, as you put it, you know, you came up with that idea for the for the for the show. I think it's a great one. And since you had this idea, Derek, why don't you kick us off? What is your number five show that's ripe for a reboot? Sure. So I, I don't have any real preference or order. Usually when we do these, it's literally mm-hmm. my number one pick is my best or my favorite versus right. my number five being my fifth favorite. Gotcha. With this one, I couldn't really find a way to rank them in any way because I, I sort of had equal feelings for different reasons about all five of my picks. So I, I'm literally – I just put them chronologically in reverse order. So I went from the newest show to the oldest show and my newest show debuted in 1990. So all of the shows from – after this one are going to have debuted in the 80s or earlier. So, Chris, this you're going to probably be right up your alley with these shows. Hopefully, uh, oh, people are familiar with some of these. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So, my first show, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the show and an honorable mention because I think they're sort of both in the same vein. So, okay. I have a tremendous love for a story or a show that can take place in a single setting. Where you can have characters coming and going and maybe not have – like if you're a performer, you don't have to commit to a full 10 episodes of a season. Maybe they just have you on for one or two key episodes. So I've always liked the idea of a show that has like a central location that makes sense for having people coming and going while you have your core cast has a good reason to be there every week. So the show that I would reboot as my number five mm-hmm. is Wings. 
Oh, it, okay. It ran from 1990 to 1997. It ran eight seasons, 172 episodes. And for those who may not be familiar with Wings, it's a very straightforward concept. It takes place at a small airport. There's two brothers who are running this airline uh, out of, uh, I believe it's off the island of Nantucket in New England. And again, there was a cast of wacky characters. There was the the little restaurant that was there. And there was the the newsstand. And there was the, the lady that sold you a ticket. And there was a mechanic. So you had like a cast of characters that it made sense that they were there every week. And, and of course the two brothers are the pilots because the idea is this is a tiny airport. So you did a lot of private charter flights and stuff. Um, so my honorable mention to go with this would be Newhart, which took place in a hotel okay. or a bed and breakfast. So uh, just that same idea where you have a, a, a focused centralized location and then you have all the potential for people to come and go And a hotel's perfect for that, right? It's like a guest shows up one week and they do whatever they're there to do. And then they leave and you're not like, Hey, where's that guy? Well, he was here for a one week vacation. But I'm going to stick with Wings for a minute. So I would reboot Wings, but I, I wouldn't – it was originally a 30-minute sitcom. I wouldn't necessarily reboot it as a sitcom. I mean it could work. Obviously, it worked for eight seasons. But I like the idea of maybe making it a little more serious. Uh, the original show focused around the two brothers. Again, I don't – I didn't watch it that much and, and i got to be honest. I, I, I'm not all, 100 percent familiar with the, the inner workings of the show, but – if I remember correctly, the two brothers sort of were reluctant owners of this airline. Like I think one of them wanted to own it and the other one didn't, but there was some financial commitment or something. So you ha- sort of had this struggle between the brothers about like, do we keep this airport going? Do we not? And of course, week after week, you had a, wa- a wacky and zany characters would show up to fly on the airline. But I think rebooting this has a lot of potential, either as a comedy or a drama, um, where every week you have different people coming into the airport for whatever reason. And if if it was a drama, you could have – all sorts of you know dramatic reasons it could be someone running from the law or it could be a a love story or it could be a you know this package needs to get here by a certain time for whatever important reason or you could do it just like they did it before where it's a comedy and people show up and haha it's funny for whatever reason but I, i think the idea of this this very centralized specific location with this this opportunity for characters to come and go uh, presents a lot of opportunity. So my number five would be Wings. Right, that was pretty good. I, I got to admit, you said it, it ran from like the, in the 90s, right? 1990 to 1997. I have never seen an episode of Wings. I'm familiar with the show. Thomas Hayden Church was in it, right? Yeah, I, I want to say he wasn't in it from the beginning. And Tony Shalhoub, uh, the two brothers were St- Stephen Weber and Tim Daly, uh, both of whom have gone on to have some pretty moderate – well, not even moderate, but some pretty good success. Uh, and then obviously Tony Shalhoub and Thomas Hayden Church, both breakout characters from – breakout actors from this show. Um, I liked him in uh, Sideways. That movie was really good. Yeah, yeah. And was was exactly. it Crystal Bernard in it from Happy Days? Uh, oh, is that where she was from? Yeah, yeah she, she was, was in, in Happy Days. Every episode. I, I didn't recognize her from anything before. Wasn't she in one where she was a waitress, a show before this? Uh, I don't was, know. She, she was in a movie uh, called Young Doctors in Love. Where she really? Also, she was yeah. in that? Oh, yeah. She yep. had a really small part. Yeah, she... I want to say, now, of course, now I got to figure, I got to look. Yeah, it's a Living. It was a sitcom she was in, 1985 to 1989. Oh, I knew I recognized her somewhere. Oh. Okay. Well, that's not bad. Okay. So my number five is The Wonder Years. Okay. So the show ran on ABC from 88 until 1993. Obviously, it was a nostalgic look back, you know, to childhood. It was like it took place around 1970 is when the show was sort of set. And in the final episode, Kevin and Winnie don't even end up together because like he's married and he has kids. But in the reboot, in my reboot anyway, they could both be divorced and then it you know, could kind of rekindle the, the old flame and maybe add some sexual tension to the show. You know, will they get back together kind of thing? So 
Derek, you have mentioned before here on the pod about Yancey's great saying, nostalgia is a powerful drug. Yes. Well, I think a reboot of The Wonder Years would be just that, because the whole show is about nostalgia. And a reboot would be about Kevin and Winnie, though, and they both have millennial kids. So both of them being Kevin and Winnie would be nostalgic for things from the 70s and 80s. In other words, they would basically be me. And the kids would be all about millennial stuff. So just like you and Yancey around here. So I think it would make for a great idea for a reboot. And I think, let's be honest, it's not like Fred Savage and Danica McKellar are exactly ripping it up with new projects. So they'd probably be available. I think The Wonder Years is ripe for reboot. And it's number five on my list. I gotta be honest. I never watched The Wonder Years. It was a show that just never appealed to me in any way whatsoever. It was pretty good. I liked it. I thought it was it was it was very endearing and very nostalgic. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, a lot of people loved it. People who who watched it certainly enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, yeah like and it ran a, a, for a fair amount of uh, a fair amount of shows. So it obviously had a, a certain amount of success. So okay, uh, my number four is actually one of my all time favorite TV shows. It ran uh, from 1989 to 1993, and it is Quantum Leap. Oh, wow. Did you ever watch Quantum Leap? I have never seen an episode. Again, I'm familiar with it, but I never did watch it. Okay, so I'm going to read you the little... So at the beginning of every episode, there would be a, a, a setup. You would have a voiceover explaining what the show was about in 20 seconds. So okay. if you've never seen an episode... This is what you need to know. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the first couple of sentences because I think that's enough. So it says, theorizing that one could travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Dr. Samuel Beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished. He awoke and found himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. So th that's the idea. It's uh, Scott Bakula played Dr. Sam Beckett. And every week he would wake up in a body and have no idea who he is or what the date is or what his purpose is or what his role is. And he would eventually go to like a mirror and in the mirror, uh, we as the audience who up until now have seen Scott Bakula get out of bed or drive the car or whatever, you would see the reflection of what everybody else in the show is seeing. And it might be uh, a teenage boy. It might be a grandmother. It might be, uh, you know, a middle-aged man. It might be whoever. And – Everybody else would see and hear that, like whoever the real person was supposed to be, the real character. But of course, as the audience, we would see Scott Bakula. And so some weeks he would be a professor and some weeks he would be a tap dance instructor and some weeks he would be a professional baseball player. So every week as an actor, Scott Bakula got to do something different. And I, I, I really, really liked this show when it was on. And I remember reading in a lot of the interviews, they were saying like one of the reasons they cast him is he had a music theater background. He had he was he had an athletic background. He was a tremendous actor. He had a, a good range. He was uh, always open to new things. And so they knew that getting someone with that kind of versatility, they weren't going to be limited in their scripts. It wasn't going to be, well, we can never have a singing episode because the guy can't carry a tune. It's like, oh, he can actually sing. So we can have a lot of episodes where he's a, a theater major or a rock star. There was one where he was like a kiss style rock and roll star and and he can play various instruments. And there's one where he's a baseball player because apparently he's a pretty decent athlete. And so. So he's um, just a good character actor. Yeah, he's a good character actor. And then you had Dean Stockwell. Was, another character was, actor. Another character actor. Yeah. Dean Stockwell was the the tether. So Dean Stockwell was in in the present. And he would be able to appear as a hologram that only 
Sam Beckett, the the Scott Bakula's character, could see and hear. And so he would be able to tell him things like, you know, he would say, hey, I've done some research and I realized you are in Georgia in 1960 and you're going to be here to do some stuff with civil rights and you happen to be a black woman right now. And, and uh, you know, it was – the idea was they always picked – interesting points in history and you know the, the the show was very much like quote unquote has a message every week they try to teach you a lesson and it was like you know this is why um you know this character is here today he's going to help this person have a revelation to change the world for the better or he's going to step in and stop something bad from happening or he's going to encourage this person to do something incredible and it was just a all around like a good-hearted show so what i'd like to see is sort of one of two veins either you pick it up where like at the end of the show, it, it didn't really completely satisfactorily end the show. Sam never got home. It, the idea was he would continue to leap through time and, and correct the problems that had happened and make things set things right that once went wrong and that the jobs would just become harder. But by then he had sort of just realized this is my lot in life for whatever reason. I'm going to make the world a better place. And um, so I'd either like to see it pick much like you said with the Wonderly years. Let's just take the theme, take the show we already know and just say 20 years later, we're picking it up. Now, I don't think you could cast Scott Bakula. He's a little bit too old for this right now. But you could say that it's the same character. Why not? Alternatively, I think this would be good to just do as a reboot. Set it now. So the idea was when this launched in the 90s, the quote unquote present day for Dr. Beckett was supposed to be like 1999. Which is why they had time travel technology because we didn't have that in 1989. Um, and then he was always bouncing around in the 60s, 70s, and 80s because it was supposed to be in the lifetime of that scientist who was only supposed to be like 40 years old. Well, what if you had an, uh, a quote scientist that was 40 years old today in 2020? So he could only go back as far as 1980. So what would you have in the late 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s that a time traveler could go back and influence and make changes to and and again it was a lot of social commentary it was a lot of sort of feel good messages it was a a way to teach the audience about history and real life and politics and and important things that maybe the audience wasn't already aware of especially the younger audience and i think that that kind of a reboot today would would probably land and be every bit as successful as the show was in the 80s. So my number four, Quantum Leap. All right, that's a pretty good one. All right, my number four. I'm going with Quincy. Now, okay, this is an old show, that, but it's one that I just I completely love. So the original starred Jack Klugman, and he was like this crime-fighting coroner who used forensics to solve the cases that he had to do. And I'd say since this show came out, it's inspired everything from CSI to Forensic Files, to NCIS. Yeah. You know, but I think Quincy was the best of all these. And the thing I liked about it was that it was all about like clues and how everything fit together and using sort of deduction and reasoning to solve the cases, you know, as much as the forensic evidence itself solved the cases. And each episode was like this puzzle that had to be pieced together. And for me, watching the show was, it was like going along for a ride that was always a real blast. So Quincy himself was very unorthodox. Um, he actually lived in a boat, you know, that was, it was docked in the harbor. And, Where did the show take place, Chris? What's uh, I want to say it was in San Francisco. Okay, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he would, he would just like clash with like the police Lieutenant Monahan. He'd argue with his boss, Dr. Aston. And funny enough, this show actually was based on, well, pretty much based on a Canadian TV show called Wojek. 
and it starred John Vernon. He played Dean Wormer from Animal House. You know the double secret probation guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he did a show, Wojak, and, and, and Quincy is basically kind of a, a copy of that. But I would say based on its genesis and its history and the influence that it's had on, you know, subsequent TV shows, I think it's time for a reboot of Quincy because now he'd have different tools at his disposal, things like the internet and DNA that they never had back in the 70s. And the other thing too was, I remember when I would watch CSI, sometimes you'd see graphic things, like you'd see like a body cut open and laying there on the table and stuff. Quincy never did that. You never saw a body. You never even saw like an arm or anything. Like you would just see them looking over. Him and Sam would be looking over the body. Um, but I think now it would be done differently. It might be a bit more graphic, but I I just think it would just be great with just kind of a new spin on it. And so I think Quincy would be ripe for reboot. On to your number three. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a hard no on that. One. <laughs> why? And here's why. Why? I'd like to know. Okay, partly you've already touched on it. This has been remade and rebooted a dozen times already. CSI did it very well, as did the twenty thousand spin-offs of CSI. But there was also the show Crossing Jordan uh, with uh, I want to say Jill Hennessy, uh, who also was in Law and Order for a while, yep. but she was the medical examiner. Mm-hmm. And there's been a few shows like this. And one of the, I'll be honest, one of the things that I never really liked because I just couldn't believe it on Quincy or any of these shows was the amount of out of the office detective work that the medical examiner did by themselves, where they're like. Oh, we're going to go to this seedy bar to look for a clue or we're going to go down to this abandoned <laughs> warehouse and check. I never, never bought that for a second. I'm like, there is no way a doctor who has highly specialized skill set is going to put themselves in harm's way in any way like this without an armed escort and bright headlights and all the rest of that. But every show it's like, oh, I'm going to take it upon myself because I got the no from the police, but I'm doing it because it's the right thing. I'm going to find – and they always find the clue and they solve the case. And it's like if it wasn't for this medical examiner, an innocent man would have gone to jail. And it's like, yeah, that could have been the case. But there's no way these medical examiners – basically the shows always had them be full-on detectives and not to belittle the requirements that are there to become a medical examiner, but I never, ever bought it for a second. So – you know, I'm putting a hard no on Quincy. I'm sorry. Well, a couple things, like you said, it has been remade a bazillion times, but all those other shows that you mentioned all have these ensemble casts, you know, that are all working together. Whereas Quincy was just like a lone wolf. You know, he was just working on his own. Sure. So I don't know. I just thought that was, and the other thing is, is that I recently started watching forensic files. I'd never seen that show and I found it on Netflix. Oh, and Frank I, and Green? I, uh, no, no, no. That's the Canadian one called uh, Exhibit A. Forensic Files is the American kind of version of that. And it's like real life cases and they use forensics to solve it. And I find it fascinating to watch just to see how they use forensics to solve crimes, how just a piece of hair, a fiber of hair can lead to solving a crime. I just find that fascinating or a footprint and how they do it. And so I'd like to see that more in a dramatic sense with Quincy again, because I just really thought Quincy was good. Again, preface what I said at the beginning of this show that I think these these shows were all perfect the way they were, but you know, I'm playing along and I'm going with it. So Quincy's my number four. All right. So number three, what do you got? My number three is going to be a little on the nose, especially for me. Okay. It is the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. From 1983 to 1985, ran three seasons, 27 episodes. Now, I'm not saying to reboot it as animated. 
I want you to think back over the last 10 years, what has been the biggest show ever? And it was Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yeah. Game of Thrones made all the money, had all the ratings, got all the actors, won all the awards. Like it was the show. It was appointment viewing. It was the must-see TV of the last 10 years. Whether or not you love or hated how it ended up until that point, this was a show that everyone talked about. And in its first season, there was a lot of speculation and a lot of hesitation around like, are people going to want to sit and watch – uh, you know, a show about like dragons and swords and 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 wizards and guys in armor and and you know like the too much quote fantasy elements to the story, and and understandably because nothing like that had really worked before outside of say the Lord of the Rings movies by Peter Jackson, which were again atypical for the time, but really hit a nerve and made a ton of money and won a bunch of Oscars, and so it, really there's now a track record out there between the Lord of the Rings series and Game of Thrones. This has they have both demonstrated that if you take this subject matter seriously, you create real characters, you bring on strong writers, and you you have an actual story to tell, a fantasy genre can work even with an audience that would not normally be interested. Now, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon has a very simple premise. It's six kids are at a fair, like they're teen they're teenagers, they're at a fair, they do this ride, and then they do the Dungeons and Dragons ride, and zap, they end up not finishing the ride. Instead, they end up literally in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. And when they show up, they um, are uh, are given the quote Dungeon Master, literal Dungeon Master character shows up and gives them each a magic weapon and says, this will protect you. You guys need to try and find a way home. And then every week is them following clues to try and find their way home. And of course, because they have these special magic weapons, there are forces of evil that are always trying to steal the weapons or stop the kids or they realize these kids are special for some reason. And I think if this was handled as a drama, as a very serious idea, you don't necessarily have to make it all magic this and magic that. You've already demonstrated that people will watch a show with dragons. You've already demonstrated people will watch a show where there's a lot of sword fighting and things like that. Um, you make it a, a like a hard R rating, just like Game of Thrones. You give it a very serious uh, story and uh, you make real characters and you have it this – like they don't necessarily have to be teenagers. You could, I mean depending on how you want to start the story. But um, you could follow the same idea where there are real people from our world that get ported into this fantasy setting and – you could even add a lot of humor to that where they have that tongue in cheek where they can make references to things like Game of Thrones because they have that understanding, yet they're now in a world just like that. And if you're going to make it a single season, you could always say, OK, by the end of the season, they find the portal home. Or if by the end of the first season, they're actually the ratings are good. You could say, oh, sorry, this portal didn't go home. You got to stick around. We got to need another season to find the real portal home. Mm. Or maybe the characters have a reason to not use the portal. Oh, we need to stop and save somebody. Oh, but the portal's only going to be open until the full moon. Oh, we missed it. Oh, I guess we got to stick around for season two to find another portal. So it's this kind of story that you could easily continue on and on and on. And you could continue to develop these characters and give them motivations for like, why do they still want to go home? They've got a great life here. Or maybe they've suffered some tremendous hardship and like they need to get home. Um, so it could really work and potentially you could even throw in like while they're in the world doing whatever they're doing, here's what's happening back home. So you could always have that sort of back and forth dynamic of this is what's happening in the real world. Nobody knows that they're been teleported to this world. They just think they're missing. And then you cut back and forth to this fantasy realm. So there's a lot of ways you could do this. Um, but I think you would need to take it as a serious drama. I think you'd have to treat it to the, maybe not to the money level of game of Thrones, but you'd have to give it that serious, that seriousness for it to work. 
And I think it could work really, really well. So that's, yeah, kind of- that's a good point. I think they've tried to kind of incorporate Dungeons and Dragons into pop culture in the last, you know, 15, 20 years and to no success until Game of Thrones kind of came out. Yeah. You know, they tried to make a couple of movies. I think there was a couple of dragon movies and stuff. It just didn't work. Even that, that cartoon, I know that that cartoon, when it came out back in the 80s, it was pretty popular, like with, you know, fans, which surprised me because D&D was always about elves and dwarves and that sort of thing. And that, that show, I just remember it being like there's a pony in it and a couple of weird things. I don't know. Well, they had to add some elements to make it a little more kid-friendly. Kid-friendly, I guess. But yeah, you, good point. You could easily incorporate those elements, but just make them a little... Again, if you take the material seriously, if the characters in the show take the material seriously themselves, the audience is more likely to take it seriously. And when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons, there have been like I got to think five, six hundred novels written in the Dungeons and Dragons worlds over the last 25 years um, of which I've read probably three quarters of them, if not more. And some of them are like New York Times bestsellers. The authors have gone on to become like renowned names in the fantasy genre. So there is a ton of source material to pull from if they wanted to say, we're going to take R.A. Salvatore's Dark Elf series and and convert this into this show. Well, the guy's written 30 books featuring the same characters. You hmm. want to like Game of Thrones was what, seven novels? Now, these novels were massive, but it, like, look at that. It ran for eight seasons and made all the money. So there is a there is a plethora of source material ripe for plunder if they want to reboot this thing and i think that there's mm. nothing but opportunity if it's done right and taken seriously so yeah, I think that's a pretty for yeah. me dungeons and dragons that's a pretty good one i like that okay my number three <clears throat> this one could be a little bit politically charged but i've never shied away from being you know honest here on the podcast so it's all in the family i got inspired to suggest this as a reboot while I was attending a recent family event with my in-laws and man, I hope they don't listen to the show. (laughs) But when you think about all in the family, you know, we'd like to think it's about an old bigot. That's a thing of the past. Well, if I, if any of us have learned anything over the past couple of years, it's that bigotry is alive and well in America. So therefore I think it's pretty obvious that all in the family is as relevant as ever. You know, in the reboot version, Archie Bunker, the, the Archie Bunker character is your uncle who sits in his chair all day and complains about immigrants and young people and how liberals are ruining the world. And his son-in-law is basically a, you know, Bernie Sanders supporter. But here's the twist that I think. The show features Meathead as an old man who's become cynical and jaded and is now a Republican. And his son-in-law is the idealistic liberal who's like the foil to meathead. Because when I think back on All in the Family, one of the keys to its success is that it really made people look at their own prejudices. And I think the dynamic between Archie and meathead was a microcosm for society as a whole. I think the difference now is that the original series played on the fact that it was a generational divide that was a big thing for them. But for me, what's become clear is that it's not a generational thing at all. Because if it was, the younger generation from the 70s would have grown up and held on to their liberal beliefs. But they didn't. They grew up and they became the people that elected Donald Trump. So the message of this show is that it's not a generational thing. Rather, it's an age thing. And you could explore the fact that people become cynical 
you know, as, as the age. Um, I think the appeal of the original show was, you know, how much people could relate to it. Right. Because they all had that kind of racist uncle in the family that was, you know, represented by Archie Bunker. And I think it's just as relatable today. So I think if my family outings with my in-laws are any indication, the spirit of Archie Bunker, unfortunately, is alive and well. So I just I think a reboot would resonate with today's audience just as much as it did with audiences back in the 70s. That's my take. Yeah, that's a good pick. I, I, honestly, that one was definitely on my short list. Um, I was just struggling with a way to reboot it in a fashion that made sense, that didn't seem over the top or unnecessarily hurtful. And I think that the way you've sort of positioned it, it could absolutely work. Yeah, it's all in kind of how you do it. But I, like I say, that's why I think you want to look at it as kind of an age thing. And I just, I don't know, as much as we think we've progressed over the last, you know, 45 years since that show was out. Unfortunately, I think it's as relevant as ever. It's a sad yeah. commentary, but I think it would be, I think it would really work. I think it's something that's worth exploring. I don't know. That's just me. All right. Good pick. Mm-hmm. All right. My number two. Uh, this was my mother's favorite show when I was growing up. Interesting. It debuted in 1982, ran for five seasons, and it was called Remington Steel. Oh, I remember that show. Did you ever watch it? Yeah, show? I didn't watch so, it a lot, but I watched the, an episode the, here or there. So, I had a crush on uh, uh, Stephanie Zimbalist. Yeah. So the premise for those who maybe aren't as familiar is the 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 lead character, the female character that you just mentioned, Stephanie Zimbalist, she is a private detective. And she's created her own PI business again in 1982, and she's having a really difficult time convincing uh, client, high-paying, high-powered clients to hire a woman as a PI, uh, a real sign of the times and, and an of its day kind of thing. So what she does is she creates a fictional male character and names the agency after him. So she says – uh, my boss's name is Remington Steele, and and I run the Remington Steel, and he runs the Remington Steel Private Investigations, and I work for him. And then so people come and they go, oh well, can I meet Mr. Steele? And they're like, oh, he's he's on a trip right now, or he's on a case right now. And then she starts getting all this work, and she's doing all the work, and she's a great detective, but she has to hide uh, the, what's really going on behind the name of a man so that she can get the credibility that she absolutely deserves. Well, what happens in the pilot is. This suave, sophisticated gentleman who ends up going on to becoming James Bond, played by Pierce Brosnan, shows up and says, I'm Remington Steele and puts her in a position where she basically has to confirm this to clients that, yes, this is Mr. Steele. And then all of a sudden he has inserted himself into this dynamic where he claims to be Remington Steele, the detective that the agency is named after. And and she realizes that she can't out him without outing herself. So they come to this agreement that she will allow him to be Remington Steele, but she's still calling all the shots behind the scenes. And it ran five seasons, 94 episodes. And um, so what I'd like to see in a reboot of this is we keep the same premise where you've, and maybe you switch the gender roles, but I like the idea that it's this female that isn't taken seriously. Um, I mean, I don't like that she's not I don't like that she's not being taken seriously, but I like the idea of this premise. And then this this gentleman sort of steps in and says, this is who I am. And then so you have maybe some gigantic case that falls into their lap at the end of the first episode. So if your show's going to run 10 episodes, you're like, OK, this is the plot of our 10 episodes is solving this unsolvable crime. And they've come to Remington Steel because they've heard the agency is fantastic, all because the woman has done all this work already. Now, through the course of the show, you find out that Remington Steele has this, you know, 
a questionable past. He's worked as a thief and he's done all these things. So he has skills, but he's not the detective she is. He brings different skills to the equation. And I think that that is really sort of what you play up in this is it's this combination of they're working together to solve this big crime. But at the same time, she's trying to find out who he really is and he's trying to keep his true identity a secret. And you learn more and more about who he really is and how he's got these skills. Maybe he is a secret agent. Maybe he was a secret agent. Maybe he's a criminal. Maybe like we don't know. And you keep the audience guessing. You don't actually confirm details, but you show enough that the audience can start to draw its own conclusions. And in the course of the five episodes of the show, there ended up being a romantic relationship between these two characters. I don't necessarily think that that's something you would want to do from the outset, but maybe if it ran a couple of seasons, you could go down that road. But you always had that tension of the man woman <laughs> thing, right. right? Like you see a lot of shows like Moonlighting was like that. X Files. Cheers. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. You have this, this male female dynamic where there's this sexual tension. And until they actually get together, the show's great. And then they get together and you're like, this show's gone downhill. But I can see this sort of. You have this 10-episode series, a 10-episode season where by the end, they solve this great mystery, which is both double-edged sword, where Remington Steele, the fictional character, gets all the credit. The agency gets all this notoriety and credit for being successful. They get all this money for solving the unsolvable crime. Unfortunately, it now cements the fact that this, this imposter is indeed Remington Steele, and you have this, this agency, uh, uh, the startup, the woman character who's like, damn it. She's getting the success she wants, but she's still got to credit this this charlatan who is pretending to be everything that she wishes she could be, while at the same time us as the audience are starting to get a sense of who he really is. I think this could work really, really well, and I'd love to see something like this come back. I got to tell you, I think Remington Steel reboot would actually really work. I think you're onto something here. I don't know. I don't oh, know. Wait to hear my next. Wait to hear my number one. I, <laughs> I can't I, imagine man, this, this episode. I've given so much thought to this. I'm having such a good time. With I think. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about this Remington Steel thing. Man, you got me thinking. Okay, my number two. I don't know if this one will work or not, but I'm talking about Fantasy Island. So the show was basically an excuse to put some zealous actors into a show every week and have them be involved in like these plot lines that were both weird and somehow like engrossing at the same time. It was kind of hard to explain. So the premise, if you're not familiar with it, is that there's basically a guy, Mr. Rourke, and he runs an island where people pay money to come and live out their fantasy. So one person might want to be a famous athlete, for example. Or another might want to run like a powerful business or something like that. You know, that sort of thing. Like nothing X-rated or anything. I was like going to say, is this not just a sex island? <laughs> exactly. I want to do my neighbor. <laughs> exactly. No, that's that's another show altogether. Oh, okay. But in this one, Mr. Rourke was the guy that ran the island and he had a little person. As Sorry, that was Ricardo Montalban, It was right? Ricardo Montalban, that's correct. Uh, the great Ricardo Montalban. Oh, the wonderful. He was con, of course. And, and so he had a little person as his like sidekick it was tattoo it was played by Hervé Villachez but in the reboot of this show Mr. Rourke I think should be played by a woman and tattoo is played by Peter Dinklage so Peter uh, a little on the nose there don't you think well Peter Dinklage I think is amazing and you know as I was thinking about this reboot I got to thinking that you know Peter Dinklage has a small role in Game of Thrones but nah, he, but he well, I don't no pun intended, but he totally makes the most of his role, right? He makes it basically into the most memorable character on the show. Oh, so for sure. I got thinking, I thought, you know, anytime that we see an actor with a small role that totally kicks butt and makes the part 
you know, memorable and bigger than life, it should be given a name. And I'd like to name it after Peter Dinklage and call this kind of role a Dinklage. It's a Dinklage. So, for example, Laura Dern had a small part in Marriage Story. I don't know if you saw it, but it was a total... She won an Oscar for it. Oh, she was so good. It was a total Dinklage. It's a Dinklage. And last week when we watched Big, remember Tom Hanks' friend Billy? He was like a scene stealer in that, right? That man, that was a a total Dinklage. It's a Dinklage. So, anyway, back to Fantasy Island. I think Peter Dinklage and a woman, as Mr. Rourke, would make a great reboot... And then what they would do is they would have these Z-list actors every week. So, so for, everybody from your favorite shows who are all now old and washed up? No, no, I'm talking like, like but that's that's the, the key. Recent, like more recent shows, Z-list. So for example, like maybe, I don't know, like the comic book store guy from Big Bang Theory. Or like the kid in the wheelchair on Glee. Or like Phyllis from The Office or something like that. You know what I mean? Like sure. they, they could they Where could you get, watch it and you go, I sort of recognize yeah, that person. I kind of know that person or whatever. And they could even get people that maybe were like on the original series and are still Z-list actors like Ed Bagley Jr. or someone like that. I don't know. But anyway, that's my idea. Fantasy Island, ripe for reboot. On to your number one. All right. So my number one. Do you I, like my idea of the Dinklage, by the way? I'm fine with that. Sure. Okay. Would he get a commission or, or would he get a royalty every time we refer to that? Every time if he th- did, then for sure. Absolutely. Like he, he, he deserves that. Well, we'll but have you to be- call it a Dinklage role. And every time it's like when you say three Pete and they're like, Oh, you got I think it's the Chicago bulls have the copyright on that. They get paid every time an announcer says that if you want to call it the Dinklage and he gets a cut. Um, I, I think it's a great idea. Why not? Yep. It's a Dinklage. It's a Dinklage there. Okay. He just made five bucks. Nice. Nice. Right. You can send him a check. All right. Uh, okay, so I got to be honest. The, my number one pick, I have thought about this as a possible reboot for a very long time. And when we decided to land on this topic, I thought, perfect. I'm going to have a chance to share my idea. Awesome. Love it. Hate it. Whatever. <laughs> I just – I this, you, If you thought the last two sounded like me like a huge passion projects, mm-hmm. this one would be my number this one. This one's even better, yeah. Yes. Okay. And you got to hear me out. I don't want any commentary until I sort of say my piece. Okay. Yeah, go for and it. You can laugh if you want. But, oh, sure. But no commentary. Okay. okay. The Dukes of Hazard, as a totally serious drama. No comedy, no laughs. It's a drama, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So Dukes of Hazard ran from 1979 to 1985, seven seasons, ran 146 episodes. They rebooted it as a comedy movie in like the late 90s, early 2000s, and it starred uh, Johnny Knoxville from uh, Jackass, mm-hmm. and it starred uh, Scott uh, Sean William Scott, who was Stifler in yes. the American movies. Yes. So you get those two guys. And, and two wasn't, people. oh, what's her name? Um, Jessica Simpson. Yes. Was Daisy Duke. Daisy Duke, yeah. I didn't watch it. I watched the trailer. That was two minutes that I'm never getting back in my life. It looked terrible. Awful. From the yeah. few people I know who watched even parts of it, they're like, it was atrocious. It was a cash grab. It was, yeah, anyway, it was a big fail. So with that, unfortunately, the likelihood of this property being rebooted in any way is probably not going to happen. But this is what I would like to see. This is a reboot I think would work. The Dukes. Of, so for those who maybe are not that familiar, so the Dukes of Hazard was about these two cousins, Bo, Bo Duke and Luke Duke, and they were just a couple of good old boys, and they drove a fast car, and they like were always getting in trouble with the police, but they were always like they had hearts of gold. They were helping people out, and you had uh, the. Um, the Hazard County, uh, um, I, I don't know what his role was, but you had Boss Hog. He was like the authority figure. Oh, and yeah. he, 
he was basically like he wasn't a police officer, but the police reported to him. No, he was like he was like the, the local politician that was like corrupt. And, oh, and was he, that his he, thing? He was like yeah. a mayor or governor or something? He was like okay. a city manager. Yeah, sure. And he was like a local business guy. Yeah. We had all the money and all the connections. And then the police worked for him, basically. And you had the sheriff, Roscoe P. Coltrane, and uh, you had Enos. And so and he just uh, got his own show for a while he did there. indeed yeah. and then so you had the duke boys and you had their cousin daisy you've heard the, the term daisy dukes that really tight short short cut jeans. off cut off jeans and yep. uh, you had the uncle jesse who was the parent figure and he right. was always making moonshine which as an eight-year-old <laughs> yep. i had no idea what moonshine was i was like what the hell is moonshine never understood what that was until many years later um in any case i would like to see this rebooted as a super drama and it starts it, basically you reverse it where the story is about the police officers who are actually fairly competent and the Duke boys are like hardcore criminals because most of the stuff they did in the show was like totally against the law. Like they were always uh, fleeing, fleeing arrest. Uh, like whenever the police were chasing them, they never pulled over. That was just fled the scene of the crime and they would like blow stuff up and they, they had like. They were always using their bow and arrows to like shoot stuff and blow stuff up. They never used guns, but they they seemed to have some skills. And they were always fixing the cars and doing all these sort of wacky zany things. So I'd like to think that, okay, you reboot it. You have the Duke boys, basically, they're both ex-military. You know, they're maybe they they they've come from uh, a life where they they never really had any money, they never really had any opportunity, and so they both joined the army or the Marines or whatever, special forces, and so the story takes place where they've been in the army for a number of years and they come back to Hazard County and their uncle is trying to make ends meet and he's doing the moonshine or maybe he's a very successful moonshiner. Who knows? And the law is trying to like figure out what's going on. Like where is all this coming from? And the and like the Duke boys have some serious military skills. So the police are very cautious about just like driving up to their property and going, hey, we're here to arrest you. And so you can almost make it like uh, in the in sort of the vein of like a Breaking Bad where – where you you have the police force working on tips. You don't make them all goofy like they did on the show. You, right. you have like a politician who actually has a very legitimate and totally legal reason for wanting to stop them. And you have a sheriff who's like a little bit past his prime, but he realizes like I need to do the right thing here. And then the Enos character always was a little bit dim-witted, but always sort of had the, the heart of gold. So I'm thinking mm -hmm. you make him almost like a Forrest Gump style character where he's really – capable as a police detective but maybe he's not quite picking up on like the subtleties so like he's almost like a savant where you give him the clues and he draws these crazy connections that turn out to be totally correct because in a lot of the show you had the the romantic relationship between daisy and enos so you got to make enos lovable but at the same time you need to make um uh, a little bit dim but you have to demonstrate that he's capable because you got to be like, well, why else would they keep him around? So that's what I'm sort of thinking, like sort of that Forrest Gump or like Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory sort of thing where exceptional intelligence in this very specific area, but not so good with some of the social niceties. And, and you set it up like maybe where like every other episode you see like the first episode's all about the cops and then the second episode's all about the Duke boys. And then the next episode's all about the cops and the next episode's all about the Duke boys where you sort of back and forth. And you're getting it from both sides and you just take the whole thing super seriously and you sort of get to – as the audience, you're like, hey, you see the first time you see you see the law and order side of it. You're like, hey, these cops are like really trying to stop some bad people. And then in the next one, you're like, oh, that's why they're doing it. Oh, well, I'm sort of sympathetic to that. 
And then you go back to the cops and they find some new details. And you're like, oh, my God, they killed some people. OK, well, you're really. And then you go back to the Duke boys. and You're like, oh, well, maybe they didn't really kill them. It was like the circumstance and they're being framed for it. But I think if you if you did it as like a drama, like a hardcore serious drama, you didn't make it all goofy and stuff. I think it could totally work. So that's always been my number one show that I want to see. I want to see the Dukes of Hazard, but I want to see it taken seriously. I want to see it as a 10 episode Netflix series. And who knows how it's going to end. But that's what I want to see. I think it's interesting that you you're mentioning about going back and forth because, you know, bad guys never really think they're bad guys. They think what they're doing is right. Exactly. You know, exactly. so looking at their Everyone side of the story, their own story. And yeah. I think that by starting this story with the police and the law, you just automatically put the audience in the position of, well, they're showing us this first. This must be the truth. And so you're sort of predisposed to believe the law and order side of the story, even though it's called Dukes of Hazard, and then not until like sort of the end of the first season do you get a glimpse of who they actually are. You're just sort of getting like profiles where they're like they're maybe doing a slideshow in the office. This is Bo Duke and he has 10 years in the military and he's a demolitions expert. And this is Luke Duke and he's right. a driving expert. And you're getting you're seeing who the actors are and you're getting their backstory, but you're not actually seeing the actors or hearing their side of it. You're getting all the right. This is what the police think about it. This is our psychological profile is this guy's totally unstable in these circumstances. And you're like, holy geez, these guys are bad news. Then the next episode, you see them like a loving family and they're making dinner and they're helping the, the neighbor with their children. And you're like, well, these guys don't seem so bad. And so you you just sort of keep bouncing that dichotomy of the two stories back and forth. And I think it could totally work. You wouldn't even have to call it the Dukes of Hazard. You could call it Hazard County or something well, like that. Exactly you know what I mean? It. Just to reference it in some way. I would say you have put a lot of thought into this. I have put <laughs> a ton of thought job, into this. Good job, dude. This is one of the ones when I've had a few drinks and we start chatting and I'm like, <laughs> that's so hey, cool. Let me tell you about this Dukes of Hazard remake I've been imagining. <laughs> so I have I have a couple questions about the original Dukes of Hazard show. I, I watched it a little bit, but not a lot. Um, so one question I have is the the General Lee, the car that they used to drive. They never opened the car door, so they used to always go nope. in through the windows. Why was that? I remember as a kid, I remember asking a friend, and they said, "Well, the doors are welded shut." Yes, is that, that was is that true? The show the doors could not open. They never explained why, but I suspect as I grew a little older, I learned a little bit more. I think it had to do with the safety and stability of if you're going to be doing these crazy jumps. Yeah, and the crashing and the stuff like that. Yeah. Safety, and not that they were concerned about safety whatsoever. <laughs> right. Because I can remember in one key episode, the cops tricked the Duke boys by putting a decoy General Lee. They, they basically tow away the real tr car. They leave a duplicate car with like – a bad engine or something. And when the Duke boys start to drive away, it, it just sputters out and they're like, what the hell? And then the cops show them that it's a duplicate by opening the doors. And they're like, Oh my God. Like oh. if we had tried to open the doors, we would have known right away. It wasn't our car, but of course they never do. They never would. And then do you remember toward the end of the series? I remember as it almost went off the air, I think it might've been the last year they were still hanging on to it and letting it yeah. be on the air. Do you remember the, the original stars? went off the show. It was like Tom Wolpat and John Schneider. They went off the show. Do you remember yep. the names of the their cousins that came yeah. on? It was Vance and Coy. Yes, Coy and Vance. I remember yep. that too. So yeah, yep. I did I did watch it a bit. Okay, so that's pretty good. Okay, so my number one. I'm gonna go back to episode 31 of this podcast because we did a show all about our favorite reality TV shows. And one of my favorites was a show that ran in the 70s and 80s and it was called Battle of the Network Start. Oh, absolutely. I love that. The idea was pretty simple. They had celebrity actors from different TV shows and they would form these teams. 
Based on the networks they were on. Yes. Right? And they would yeah. do like these track and field events against each other to see which team would get the most points and, and win. So in my reboot idea, instead of being called Battle of the Network Stars, the show would be called Battle of the Netflix Stars. Okay. And the original usually... They had some, we will call them lesser known actors from the TV shows. So in the reboot, we want to keep that spirit alive. So you'd have a team of like people, for example, someone like Mike the Hitman from Breaking Bad or the promiscuous bar owner from Ozark or the heavy metal rocker guy that was in Stranger Things or maybe a nice. cop from Peaky Blinders or something like that. Yep. And then they would form a team and they would do track and field or endurance events, that sort of thing. You know, like, for example, Mike from Breaking Bad might do an arm wrestling challenge against Dwight Schrute from The Office. Or the heavy metal rocker guy that I mentioned from Stranger Things. He would do, like, shot put, you know, against, yeah. you know, the, the chick that plays Queen Elizabeth in The Crown. Something like that. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you, you want to keep it light and fun and trying yeah. to hold on to that campy factor that the original had. Oh, for sure. But I totally uh, think it would be a hit. Battle of the Netflix stars. Derek, what do you think? I would be all in. And as a, a heavy sports gambler, <laughs> yep. I'm totally all in. I would totally be betting on that. Like <laughs> you would have to do it live so that the betting could work. True. But oh my God, it would be so much fun to watch. I, now, of course, a lot of these celebrities – We'll call them celebrities with quotes around it. Um, <laughs> exactly. The Z list. They, they they wouldn't do it or they couldn't do it because the insurance and liability. They, they wouldn't want to risk hurting themselves. But some of these actors are in phenomenal shape. And especially if you've been in like a superhero movie or something. Like, can you imagine like Chris Pratt? Not in, in, in Parks and Rec season one Chris Pratt where he's fat and out of shape. But <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt where he's all buff and lean. Uh, like that's a that's a – night and day comparison like so i think there would certainly be an opportunity for for certain actors to go on that and they could use it much like they do with talk shows they could use it as a as a plug for what they're coming up next you know coming up next is so and so and he's going to be appearing in a movie this summer where it's him and so and so in a romantic relationship and they open an ice cream store and exactly. up next, yeah oh yeah no i would be all in for that hey, there you go so battle of the netflix stars that's what i think so anyway, that's our top five list of shows that we think are ripe for reboot. I don't know. I thought we did a pretty good job. Mine were a little bit more. I think more. my list was way better than yours. I think it was, you had, yeah. You had some good ones on there too. Yeah, no, yeah. this is a good one. I, I think I, you I, put I, a lot more thought into yours. Mine was a little bit more campy. And uh, and like I said, you know, at the top of the show, like I just, I'm not a fan of reboots anyway. You know, I just, I think some of these original shows that I liked, they were perfect the way they were. I don't want to reboot them. But, you know, I did the exercise, but you definitely put a lot of thought into yours. And I actually think you might actually get a, a, a call or two from some Hollywood agents to develop these shows that you came up with. That's how good they were. Well, anyway. That'd be that'd be the dream, man. And or or if they do it, uh, if they hear my idea and they want to run it and then they want to just like come on our podcast as a guest to talk about like their show and plug it. I'm oh, all for that, too. Let's do that. You know, yep. anyway, on that note, let's have some. Fun with Caveman. Okay, so we talked about TV show reboots, but reboots in general are a big thing, and that includes movie reboots. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis of a movie, okay? And all you need to do is name the movie. The key thing is, is that every movie on this list is a reboot. Now, the thing to keep in mind is it could be a reboot of an old movie or it could be a reboot of an old TV show. But every movie is a reboot. So you got that? 
Okay. It's yeah. pretty easy, right? TV or movie. Got it. Yeah, okay. it could be. So I'm going to give you the year and a synopsis, okay? So 2014, the heroes get into another battle with their enemy, the Shredder, who has acquired new allies, the mutant thugs Bebop and Rocksteady and the alien being Krang. That would be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Congratulations. Yes, it's a reboot of the 1990 film of the same name. Okay, 2014. I'm going to stick with that year. In 2028 Detroit, when Alex Murphy, a loving husband, father, and good cop, is critically injured in the line of duty, the multinational conglomerate Omnicorp sees their chance for a part man, part robot police officer. So that would be RoboCop. And I got to admit, I really like the RoboCop reboot. Oh, really? I've never, yeah. I, didn't even, I didn't even know it existed. Has Gary Oldman in it, if I remember correctly. Didn't even know it existed until I did researched this part. You know, yeah, I, just, no, it, I, know I really 19... liked it. It was, it was, it was an interesting uh, reimagining of that franchise. I liked it a lot. No, I just remember the movie from 87. Okay, 2001. A man and his 10 accomplices planned to rob three Las Vegas casinos simultaneously. Yeah, in the original, it was five casinos, and that is Ocean's Eleven. That's right. The original was a 1960 film with Frank, Frank Sinatra. Sinatra and Dee Martin yep. and Sammy Davis Jr. It's good. If you, if you have Henry Silva, oh, it's, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, if, you, if you're a fan of the new one and you've never seen the old one, do yourself a favor and watch it. I mean, it's obviously dated because it takes place in, I think, the 60s, but it was quite good, and it really had a lot of good um, shots of old Vegas. And if you're like me and you like Vegas, like it's a blast from the past. It was a lot of fun. And if you're a fan of SETV from the 80s, you have to see the spoof that they did called Maudlin's 11 with Sammy Maudlin and uh, William B. William and all those guys. Anyway. Okay. 2018. All new stuff for you. You're going to love this. Yeah. I was going to say reboots are a new thing. So you these know, are all going to be in the last you're, Yeah. You're, it's right in your wheelhouse. Okay. 2018. The fiercely independent daughter of a missing adventurer must push herself beyond her limits when she discovers the island where her father, Lord Richard Croft, Dominic West, disappeared. Uh, was that um, Laura Croft Tomb Raider? It was, it was Tomb Raider, yes. The reboot of the 2001 film Laura Croft. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. And then you said uh, her father, blah, blah, yeah. blah, Croft. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's, okay, okay. that's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 1998, a giant reptilian monster surfaces, leaving destruction in its wake as it strides into New York City. To stop it, an earthworm scientist, his reporter ex-girlfriend, and other unlikely heroes team up to save their city. Yeah, this uh, this starred Matthew Broderick and John Renault from The Professional, a movie we did not too long ago. And this was the remake of Godzilla. Yes, rebooted from the 1954 yeah, it was film. Not yeah. good, but yeah. I remember working at Blockbuster Video when this came out. It was a hit. This was a huge hit. We sold so many cassettes of the of the Godzilla movie. It was crazy. I might actually still have a copy somewhere. Yeah, it was it was entertaining. I guess I could give it that. Okay, yeah, it ended. It, the end was kind of weak, but the first the yeah. first hour was okay. It was the last hour that really sucked. All right, 2018. A musician helps a young singer find fame 
as age and alcoholism send his own career into a downward spiral. Yep. Oscar nominated A Star is Born. Remade for the fourth time. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was actually, I think, rebooted for the fifth time because there was. No, you'll be right, maybe fourth because it was in 1976. Yeah, and in Barbara 1954, Streisand, yeah, in 1937 as well, All Stars Born. Okay, I had to watch the original, the 19th. Would you say 37? 37. I had yeah. to watch that one of my film classes at university, and that was oh, the nice. first one I ever saw. Uh, of of that, fr- I've seen them all, but that was the first one I ever saw. Very cool. Okay, 2017, an ancient Egyptian princess is awakened from her crypt beneath the desert, bringing with her malevolence grown over millennia. And terrors that defy human comprehension. I'm going to guess that it's The Mummy. It is the one with Tom Cruise. Yeah, it was a reboot. Thinking of. Yeah, the reboot of the 1999 Brendan Fraser vehicle. Never saw it. Yeah. My wife watched it and said it was terrible. Yeah, it and looks- I'm like, yeah, okay, I trust your judgment. I'm wasting two hours of my life. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. Okay. The Brendan Fraser one was pretty good. It was entertaining. Yeah. What was the, the remake of that one? When the, Was it the Scorpion King? With the that was the sequel, crappy, Scorpion King. Yeah, oh, they made three, three in that original Brandon Fraser franchise. The first one was good. The second one was okay. I never saw the third one. I heard it was crap, and it just looked crappy, so I didn't waste my time. Mm-hmm. But there was a book called The Mummy by Anne Rice, who wrote the interview with the vampire, and I thought that the movie with Brendan Fraser was going to be based on that book. So I remember reading the book before the movie and going, wow, this book is great. <laughs> and then going to Brendan Fraser going, this is nothing like the book. <laughs> I just remember um, on a previous podcast when Yancey was on, and we were talking about The Scorpion King. And it's like the worst CGI of all time. Oh, it's really bad, yeah. Okay, okay, keeping in your wheelhouse. 2018, Laurie Strode confronts her longtime foe, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree four decades ago. Uh, that sounds like a horror movie, which I have no love for. I have no idea. Doesn't sound familiar. I don't know horror movies, so I have no idea. It's Halloween, the wow. reboot of okay. the 1978 film. I thought the Halloween guy was Michael Myers. Yeah, it was. I didn't mention his name. Oh, he, okay. he was the masked figure, right? Oh, okay. He wore the William Shatner mask. Fine, fine. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go back to 1978 for this one. Sorry, okay? the remake is 1978? Yes, that's correct. Oh, my God. Okay. So when Seeds... Drift to Earth from oh, okay. space, yeah. mysterious pods begin to grow and invade a small town, replicating the residents one body at a time. Uh, did this reboot star Jurassic Park star J- uh, Jeffrey Goldblum? Yes, it did. Yes, then this would be Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> yes, it would be. Uh, yes, Never you seen are the correct. remake, saw the original in film school. Same class I had to watch Stars Born. Did you watch the you watch the original from fifty six yeah. with, with Kevin yeah, yeah. McCarthy? Oh my god! Yeah, one of the greatest science fiction films ever made. Yep. Talk about mass hysteria and stuff like that, and it really played on uh, the communist thing and all that. Anyway, oh for sure. Okay, two thousand and five, working class New York bus driver Ralph Cramden is always coming up with get rich quick schemes for him and his best friend Ed Norton, who's always around to help him get in and out. Of trouble. Sorry, this was a movie? Yes. Okay, well, that sounds like the honeymooner. 
It is. They it made was, a movie of the They honeymoon. made a movie in 2005. In 2005? Yeah, it was like an all-black cast. It was all oh, just terrible. Who gives a crap in 2005 about the honeymoon? I know. Well, that's, wow. why, that's why I bombed. How did it do? It obviously didn't do very well. I bombed. have no idea they made it. Bombed. Okay. Um, I think it was like Cedric the Entertainer or something like that in it. Which is okay. Awful. I could see him as Ralph Cranon, but yeah. but just that whole concept of his of the Ralph Cranon character is so dated from the fifties. I know. Oh well, go figure. I was threatening to beat up his wife. That's not funny. <laughs> I know. Okay, two thousand and eleven. When a nice new neighbor moves in next door, Charlie discovers that he's an ancient vampire who preys on the community. Can he save his neighborhood? From the creature with the help of the famous vampire killer, Peter Vincent. Nice. Yeah, I know this one. So this is, this. it is uh, Fright Night. Yes. And the reason, one of the reasons I know this is Colin Farrell plays the vampire in the remake. Have you seen the remake? Oh, I have. Oh, and God, I haven't David seen David Tennant as, uh, as uh, Peter Vincent. And David Tennant's wearing like this tight leather outfit in it. Like it's, it, he looks like he's right out of like a goth movie. And uh, it has uh, Anton Yelchin, who was uh, Chekhov in the Star Trek reboot, okay. um, as the main kid. And so there's this line in the movie, like the movie's very self-aware that it's a reboot, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of like wink, wink jokes that if you know the original, they really they do nothing short of look at the camera and nod at you when they do these these like self self uh, uh, jokes. And there's one where. Um, He's talking he's talking about his buddy and he's like, Oh yeah, this is my neighbor. And he's like, Oh yeah, who's that? And he's like, Oh, his name is Jerry. And he's like, Jerry, Jerry's a terrible vampire name. And uh, so my wife Kay and I, whenever we were watching any show, any show, what it could be the, the local news, and someone says, and the name and the character's name is Jerry, we both look at each other and go, Jerry's a terrible vampire name. It's like this big inside joke in my house. So yeah. Have you right ever seen have you ever seen the original though? Oh, like about thirty times. Oh, the original is so good. So it is really good. Chris whereas, Sarandon as the vampire oh, and uh, 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 the guy from Planet of the Apes isn't he the Peter Vincent? Uh, yes, no. yes, it's yeah, Roddy McDowell. McDowell. Yeah, yeah. Roddy McDowell. One of it, it was hands down the guy down. from Gremlins. He was the main the main lead male lead, right? No, it was it was not. It was um oh what was his name? It escapes me right now. It was not the guy from Gremlins. Are you sure? Yeah, I thought positive. it was. And the no. girl was definitely Amanda Beers from yeah, Married it was Amanda with Beers from Married with Children. And That's correct. Uh, yeah, and the the buddy evil. I knew him from some other movies too. But yeah, no that I, that one was, I saw not too long ago. And some of it didn't hold up as well, but uh, no, I really liked it. And the remake was not bad. If you knew the original as well as we did, I, I had a lot of fun with the remake. Yeah, well. no, you know, the original Fright Night was great. Like I said, Amanda Bierce was in it and Roddy McDowell, his best performance. The guy that did evil, he went on to do gay porn. Oh, my, my, my. Really? Just, yeah, we'll just discount wow. him. Yep. Okay. Okay, so the last one, you've done really, really well here. I think I've only missed the Halloween one. Was the only yeah. I didn't know. So I'm going to go back to 1978, though. Oh, God. The okay. one that trip you up. We'll see about this one. Okay. A Los Angeles Rams quarterback accidentally taken away from his body by an overanxious angel before he was meant to die returns to life in the body of a recently murdered millionaire. Oh, we, I just asked you this question. You pulled that right off Wikipedia because there was one of the one of the trivias we did like two episodes ago. I, it was the body swapping. Yep. Uh, the big for the big trivia. I used that. And that was. Um, oh, you uh, got to remember the movie. Richard Gear was in it, right? No, no, uh, no. Warren Beatty. I always get Warren Beatty and Richard Gear mixed up. It was it was it'll come to me. Heaven can wait. Yes. 
it was Heaven Can Wait, and it was a reboot of the 1941 film Here Comes Mr. Jordan. And I remember you said that because I asked you about the Chris Rock one, and you're like, oh, I thought you were going to ask me about the one that came before it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because nice. you mentioned the that was like down to earth. Down to earth. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I'm telling you, you've got to go back and watch Heaven Can Wait. It is so 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 good. Well, if you want me to watch, you can nominate it for a future pod. Yeah, I'll put it on the list for sure. Well, speaking of which, it's it's now time for my movie, right? So here's my Is it thing. from the 70s or 80s? Well, I got thinking about this. And I thought, you know, like movies these days are all about like special effects. I thought you kids and your special effects. You want me to watch Star Wars? You kids and your CGI special effects and your, your Zima soft drinks and your Pac-Man video games and your... Dan Fogelberg records, I tell you, you kids. But you kids and your movies with the special effects in it, I want to see how a groundbreaking film from Generation X holds up after all these years. Can I guess? uh, Absolutely. After all these years of advanced special effects, what movie do you think I want you to watch? American Werewolf in London. Absolutely not. No. No, I'm talking about the 1988 live action and animation mashup who framed Roger Rabbit? I have I've never I, seen it. I've I, never oh, seen you've it. never seen this movie? I've never seen it. Oh my God. I mean, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And I think it's important. I'd like to go back and I'd like to look at it and see how it holds up today in today's special effects. Because when it came out, it was like groundbreaking. And I think this is unbelievable that you have never seen this movie. Never seen it. Because... You are a big fan of all this CGI and Guardians of the Galaxy and all this crap. So it would be really interesting to see what you think of this movie. Oh, this should okay. be good. So next next episode, you got to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We'll come back and we'll analyze that movie. Up for it? All right. Yeah, for sure. All right. That should be good. All right. So I tell you, uh, if you if you want to reach out to us, Derek, you mentioned earlier in the show, if anyone has any ideas for topics they'd like us to do. By all means, reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM for Derek, at C. McBrien for me. Like I mentioned, popgoesyourworld.com. That's our website. You can find our email addresses and all. Everything is on there. Make sure you reach out to us. We're, we always respond, don't we, Derek? We're very good that way. Sure. And uh, if you have any ideas for the show, you know, you just let us know. But this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.